Good morning, Gator Nation. Happy Hump Day, and welcome to episode 12 of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I'm Casey Hampton, and I am the stepping in to be the host today. And you can follow me on Twitter at champton85. Dustin Smith, our normal host, is out. He had a tooth pulled today, so our thoughts are with him. But uh, I'm going to be a substitute host today. If you want to wish Dustin get well wishes, he is on Twitter at I-A-K-O-W Dustin. As always, and all kinds of weather creator and lead writer, Neil Shulman is here with me today. You can follow him on Twitter at all kinds weather. So Neil, how are you doing? Doing pretty well, man. Uh, it's a little, gotta say you've hosted one before, but it's a little odd to hear a voice other than Dustin's kicking us off. But you've done, as I mentioned, you've done it before. You did a pretty good job in our Shannon Snell episode. So here you are reclaiming that role for today and looking forward to a good show because like that last episode where you were the host, we have another guest today. Yeah, man. Um, And our best wishes go out to Dustin today. Hope he ends up feeling well because he is a heck of a better host than I am. So you're more than good enough, Casey. But yeah, Dustin, feel better, dude. I I got a tooth pulled. uh, Oh, God, probably I was like seven, I'm 26 now. It was probably about seven. So like eight or nine ish years ago. And I remember it it knocked me out of commission for about 24 hours. So it's not fun. So Dustin feel better, dude. We'll see you soon. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, But on to the show, as they say. Uh, So we have a special guest with us today. Mike Lucas is coming on to talk about the Texas A&M Aggies. He's a local sports reporter down in Bryan, Texas with access to the Texas A&M football team. It's literally his job to cover the Aggies. And so we figured there's nobody better to provide an insight on the team we're playing next week than someone who covers them for a living. Before we get to him, though, sponsorship time. So, Neil, take it away. Yes, the best part. we got to pay those bills. Um, so, as always, got to give a shout-out to the Gator Good Foundation, which, in case you are not familiar, is a nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. And it's a nonprofit organization that has just launched a website, matter of fact. You can check it out. GatorGoodFoundation.com is live. And we are still in the process of making some tweaks to it content wise, but the site is up and it is fully functional and you can learn more about the site by checking it out yourself. Again, that's GatorGoodFoundation.com. Other news, we not really news at this point, but just a reminder, we've been reduced to a virtual campaign for 2020 and we're still looking for someone to provide that virtual experience to this year. So if you believe that you or someone you know is worthy, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. That is GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Second, shout out to our sponsor, Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and they'll deliver results that'll wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, I give y'all two great reasons why you should give them your business every episode, and I'll remind you of those two great reasons today. One, it's a veteran-owned business. I mean, I can't think of a better way to thank those who put themselves in harm's way for the red, white, and blue than by giving the business. And two, it's run by a Florida Gator. So they don't just do great work. They do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. That is stingraybranding.com. And one last piece of business before we get to our guest 
Got to give a shout out to at GoGators561 because prior to kickoff of the Florida-South Carolina game this past weekend, we tweeted out, give us your score predictions. Anybody who nails it on the head gets a shout out in next week's pod. Time to deliver on that promise because at GoGators561 did exactly that. At 12.04 p.m. on October 2nd, 24 hours before a kickoff, I'm reading the timestamp right now, he tweeted 38.24 in response to our tweet. You, sir, nailed it. Congratulations to you. And with our sponsors taken care of and the shout-out promise fulfilled, it's time to bring on our guest, Mike Lucas. Mike is a friend of mine. He comes from the same New York City metroplex that I'm from, and as was alluded to earlier, his career took him down to Aggieland, where he works as a sports reporter for KAGS News in Bryan, Texas. So he knows the Aggies. We know the Gators. Those are the two teams that we are concerned with this weekend. And so we're going to talk all about it. Mike, good to have you on, man. Thanks for your time and welcome to our show. Uh, my pleasure, guys. Any Anytime. It's great to finally collaborate with you on some content. We're, we're from the same neck of the woods. We're both greater NYC guys, and we've known each other for several years thanks to our mutual friend, Lefko. Shout out, Lefko. Uh, sorry that your Jets and Knowles kind of both suck <laughs> right now, but at least today we can provide some sports content that you can enjoy since it's featuring two of your old friends. But yeah, um, yeah, Lefko's a good dude, introduced Mike and I to each other, and now that Mike's world is Texas A&M athletics and my world is Florida Gator athletics, and the two teams play this weekend, it's about time we work together on something. So anyway, Mike, the first question I've got for you is about where this Texas A&M team stands right now to kind of set the table for the matchup. Casey and I debated this weekend what we wanted Texas A&M to do against Alabama so that Florida could face an Aggie team that had a mindset that was most conducive to a Florida win this weekend. But that's moot now because the whole world saw what Alabama did to Texas A&M this past weekend. And you have better access to the Aggies than most. So what do you think the current mood is of this Texas A&M team? Are they angry? Are they depressed? Are they ready to get back out there? Or what are your thoughts on that? I'll start with Jimbo, and we spoke with uh, Jimbo today. We spoke with Aniah Smith, the Marvin Leal, and Carson Green. So we've we got three players in coach, which is pretty typical for a, a media Monday. And Jimbo, for better or worse, does a pretty good job of putting what happened on Saturday behind him by Monday. And it's all, all right, we can't change what happened last game. Let's, let's focus on what we can fix for the game moving forward. So I don't want to say they're, they're depressed. I definitely think they're disappointed with the outcome against Alabama. They all told us going into the game before the season, they felt this was the year that they were ready to compete with the big dogs in the SEC. And if you watch that Alabama game, there was about a 10-minute stretch where they competed. The other 50 minutes of the game, they looked like an inferior opponent. And, and give Alabama credit. I, Alabama's really, really, really good this year. And I think they're going to make a lot of teams in the SEC, even good teams in the SEC, look like inferior opponents throughout parts of this season. But – Overall, Jimbo Fisher's third year here in Aggieland, they expected to win this game. And when you lose by 28 points, is, that, is my math correct? Six, it is. 28, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a mathematician. But when you lose by 28 points on national TV in a game you expect to win, I don't care how competitive it may have been, uh, that's a disappointing effort. Now, from a Florida standpoint, 
I think that does not bode well for the Gators and does bode well for A&M because Jimbo needs a signature win. And this Aggie team really needs to put the stamp of approval on what the fans want and expected this season. And I would be shocked if we don't see A&M's best effort of the season against Florida on Saturday, because they're not just playing for SEC supremacy at this point. I mean, they're playing to keep Jimbo off the hot seat. He's not going to get fired. He's, his buyout's way too big in COVID. There's all the economic, you know, ties with that. But Jimbo needs a signature win. Outside that LSU seven overtime uh, craziness a few years back, he has not performed well in the big games. This is a chance with number four, Florida coming to town to get a, a signature win on that resume and kind of validate the $75 million contract the Aggies gave him a few years ago. So I would be surprised, especially from talking to them today, if they don't come out head on fire, you know, ready to ready to kick some butt or at least try to uh, against Florida. It's easier said than done, though, because the Gators are pretty damn good in their own right. For sure. Well, and uh, as we know, and we'll talk about later on in the podcast, Jimbo has no love lost for the Florida Gators either. He does like Dan Mullen, though, which is an interesting little twist. He said he used to call Dan Mullen when he was at Florida State when they were getting ready to play SEC opponents. And I don't know where their history interwines. But he said him and Dan are pretty good friends today on, on the, the media call. Well, he and Will Muschamp are good friends, too, and any Gator fan will tell you that hurts <laughs> a lot of us. So, But we'll get to Jimbo in a little bit. But, you know, everybody's got an opinion of Kellen Mond. Uh, I've got a friend, Wes Brumbach, shout out Wes, who just loves to needle Kellen Mond as an overrated quarterback um, and that he's terrible. But you have some people that say he's a Heisman candidate, he's going to be a high NFL draft pick, and everything in between. You know, I've got my own opinion, but I'd like to hear what your opinion is of him as a quarterback, um, what his strengths and what his weaknesses are. Yeah, you ask any Aggie fan down here, you could ask 10 in the street, you're going to have five who love him and five who hate him. There, there's no middle ground. You either really like Kellen or you really don't. And I think he's better than he gets credit for. And I think a lot of the offensive issues are exasperated by some of his shortcomings, but it's not necessarily his fault. So I've actually gone back and I've tracked every one of Kellen's throws for the first two games. Vanderbilt. He didn't play well, but he played better than 17 points. He made a couple really good throws that receivers dropped. He had six drops, uh, and his receivers had six drops in that game, and three of them came on third down. That would have extended drives. You complete those, you have chances to score points, and that game, even though it was only a five-point game, 17-12 was the final, it was never really that close. I just finished charting the Alabama game, and he put up good numbers. I mean, the game was never super close, so it wasn't you know, pivotal crunch time, big time throws he was making, but he played pretty well. The offensive line, when they give him protection, which they've done a better job this year, he's more than capable of making the throws. I think the bigger issue than Kellen is, can these receivers create space? More often than not, when Kellen throws a dart and his guy catches it, he's being tackled immediately because the separation is not there. He's being asked to put a football against an SEC defense in like a one foot by one foot box. Kyle Trask is damn good. He's not going to do that on a consistent basis. Mac Jones, like, that's asking so much from your quarterback when your receivers aren't getting open. And when Jermon Osmond opted out, we knew it was a young, inexperienced receiving core. They were all four-star kids coming out. But, you know, it's one thing to do it against high school competition. It's another thing to do it against SEC secondaries. And through two games, we haven't seen really any guys but Anaya Smith create separation in the secondary to where Mon can throw them open. He's kind of squeezing it in these little – these little tiny pockets that I give him credit for. Uh, but yeah, he, he's not perfect. His downfield passing needs a ton of work. Uh, he was, I have the numbers against 
Vandy, he was three for 11 on passes of over 10 yards that, that traveled 10 yards downfield, not yards after catch against Alabama. He was nine for 22. So that completion percentage, once again, I'm not a mathematician, but that's 12 of 33. It's like 36% completion percentage on, on deep balls or deeper passes. That's not great. Uh, but I don't think he's as bad as some people like to like to say. There's just, there's more issues on offense. They can't run the ball consistently. The offensive line isn't great at protection. And then, yeah, he, he's not the most accurate quarterback. So when you combine those three, it's easy to point your finger at Kellen, but I don't think he's the sole issue for this A&M offense. Well, and, you know, looking at it, people forget that Kellen Mond played this Florida team three years ago. I think uh, that was his first big win, if I remember correctly. Yeah, correct. that was his first big yeah. win. When Florida wore those god-awful – Whatever uniform. Oh, we're not talking about those. <laughs> God, those are still a sword. You know, can I, can I say one thing about those uniforms real quick? Yeah. All right, so I, I did a story on Tyrell Dodson uh, over the summer, and I was going through old footage looking for Tyrell highlights, and we, we, we were at that game. I wasn't, but my station was at that game. So I, he had 12 tackles and an interception and a sack. All right, check that. The first thing I did when I turned in, I go, what the heck is Florida wearing? I had forgotten those jerseys existed. I had never they, seen they had the game. never existed before. We're that. trying to forget that they existed, but it was God, the, they you know, and I burned a hole in my brain. You know, I was sitting there, Mike. I watched this game, and it it looked like, and my dad described it absolutely perfectly. He said they looked like turds running around on the field. <laughs> they it, did, it, it, and that's what they looked like on television because they were brown. It was God. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, those – thanks for reminding me that those jerseys were a thing. Those – I mean, look, I, I, I give I give the Florida creative people credit for the attempt. I, I would honestly be open to seeing them, you know, take two on alligator skin Make uniforms. them blue. Make it blue. Make them black. They want to do a blackout, right? How about a blackout? You combine the blackout idea with the, the gator scales. But that the, – the kids say that ain't it. Those jerseys weren't it. I mean, just woof. Yeah. Um, But that's – yeah, thanks for reminding me about that. Anytime. Anytime, Yeah, but so back to Mon. The opinion I've got of him is he's very hit or miss. He's extremely inconsistent, somewhat reminiscent of Felipe Franks, although from what I can see, the difference is that Franks can sort of vacillate between hot and cold from play to play, whereas with Mond, it feels like he'll usually – stay on or stay off for a whole game. And and Florida's seen Kellamon before. We got to face him in 2017 in that game that you mentioned. Thanks for that again, because that wow, <laughs> Jesus, those are so so ugly. They're worth five or six different mentions of how ugly they were. But anyway, he completed eight passes for 180 yards that day. A lot of those yards were yards after the catch on quick crosses to guys like Damian Ratley and Cameron Buckley, I think had one who then took advantage of some awful angles and gained more yards after the catch. He did hit one bomb to Christian Kirk for 40, 42 yards or so, but the rest of his yards were just quick passes that turned into big plays because of a bad Gator defense. But that was three years ago. He was a freshman then he's a senior. Now, what do you think the biggest difference is between freshman Kellen Mond and senior Kellen Mond. Just for the record, I, I wasn't around for freshman Kellen Mond. I got here his sophomore year, so I'll, I'll just speak from what, what I've seen. Fair enough. His, his leadership's different. He is a vocal leader now. He is the chosen. Uh, Jimbo always says he doesn't pick a starting quarterback. His team picks a starting quarterback. And since the day 
he got there, the team had picked Kellen as the guy, and he had to beat out Nick Starkle for the job two years ago, and since then has had a stranglehold on the position. The other thing I've seen from Kellen is he's processing information a lot quicker. Sometimes his brain and his feet and his arm aren't all moving at the same speed. He'll look his his first read's covered, and he'll turn his head to the second second guy, second read, and he might be open, but his feet are still positioned towards the first read, and then his mechanics are thrown off, and he throws the ball three yards behind the guy, incomplete. That wasn't the case two years ago. Two years ago, if his first read wasn't there, he was tucking and running, which is something AM fans actually want to see more of now because he's an unbelievable athlete. I, I personally think Kellen is at his best when he's one read and go. I really do. When he can put pressure on the defense as a runner, I think it's really hard to stop him because they're not throwing the ball deep anyway. So it's not like they're waiting for these deep routes to, to you know, come together. They're just 10 yard outs. If he's not there, Kellen, go pick up six yards instead of trying to force it in. That's the biggest thing. Um, and he gets hot. You mentioned the hot and cold. Kellen on some drives looks like a Heisman candidate. I mean, some like against Georgia in the fourth quarter last year when he was in a rhythm, I think he went 13 for 14 against that Bulldogs defense, which was awesome. You know, secondary was, was elite. And then there's drives where he looks like he can't complete a pass against me, you, and Lefko, you know, playing in the secondary. His, his <laughs> accuracy is just not there. And if there's any pressure, he gets kind of happy feet. But I, I think Kellen's still a pretty good quarterback. And I think if you overlook him, he has a chance to burn you. But I think he's more of a game manager type than he is a guy that if you need – you need a big play to bust out. Like, like I don't feel confident Kellen and this offense as a whole is capable of busting out multiple big time plays, plays a week. But I do think he is capable of kind of dinking and diming you to an extent to death. Well, we well, saw Jake South Fromm Carolina used, do that last week. And Jake Fromm used to do that at Georgia. I mean, that's, you know, Jake, Jake Fromm rarely had a bomb. It was these little dinks and dunks. Well, the difference yeah. is Kellen Mond actually can run, as Mike mentioned. He actually – the only touchdown the Aggies scored in that win against us in 2017 was on him taking it right up the middle and just burning us on a nice run. So I, I can see that. The, I, I, I can see the Jake Fromm comparison. The quarterback moving that night was – that I just think about is Felipe in that god-awful uniform lumbering. Stop across. mentioning it, dude. And nobody, and nobody could tackle him. I mean, it was the ugliest run you've ever seen a quarterback – snake down the field god it was awful to me by far the best part about that run was that anthony becht the color commentator that day appeared to go into a state of catatonic shock i mean he's a very animated guy he's a former nfl tight end and and he's very jovial and as franks was crossing the aggies 25 yard line on his on his third cutback of the run and beth mullins is yelling into the mic about it he just goes, unbelievable. Like, just like that. Like, literally in that tone, he just says, unbelievable. I, you, you know, he, I he just, just wanted to, like, sit there like I was watching Varsity Blues, the movie again, and be like, go, big boy, go, go, like as he's running down the field. <laughs> God, <laughs> that whole year belongs in the trash. Not, not just that run, not just that game, not just those jerseys. Everything, all of it, get rid of all of it from my memory. The, the, the Franks to Tyree Hail Mary can stay. Everything else, just get rid of it. So, Mike, on the same subject, I wanted to ask you about the guys Mond will be trying to get the ball to. So we saw Florida struggle mightily. Um, I'm not going to say a bit. I'm going to say mightily in the tackle, tackling department in the first two games, especially against mobile runners and mobile quarterbacks. Uh, Matt Corral, you know, 
converted a third and 19 through the air. Hill converted several third down and mediums um, by running the ball. So what, what do you look at after watching him for um, the first few weeks of the season? What do you make of, of his ability to get the ball to his receivers? And what should we know about the skill position players for the Aggies? Because, you know, I, the, the, the two that I watched that I told Neil that I was worried about were uh, Smith and Spiller. Yeah, so Smith and Spiller, they're, they're two best offensive options by far. We'll get to them in one sec. Heading into the year, they lost two receivers to the draft, Courtney Davis and Kendrick Rogers. Both declared early. Neither got drafted. So they were coming in with a bit of an inexperienced factor in that position room. And then two weeks before the season, Jamon Osbin, who had been Kellamon's teammate since IMG Academy in high school, decided to opt out. And that left literally no the, – the wide receivers that were left had a combined 24 career catches. And it was all in garbage time against, you know, the, the buy, pay for play games early in the season. They had, I think, three combined SEC catches in their career. So you got Jalen Preston, number five, who's, I think he has like two slant catches and like seven bubble screens this year. He's kind of a behind the line of scrimmage guy, but once he gets in his space, it's pretty dangerous. Chase Lane is a guy who is Kellen's roommate now. He didn't play at all last year. A lot of slant routes underneath stuff. The guy that can take the top off the defense is true freshman DeMond Demas, who was a five-star coming into the season. He's only played about 15 snaps this year and only has one target. And A&M fans are anxiously waiting for him to get on the field. Uh, we've, Jimbo's been asked every press conference we've talked to him this summer, hey, how's DeMond look? Is, is he ready to play? And he keeps saying, don't worry. When he's ready, he'll be on the field, trust me. I have a feeling we might see a lot more of number one come this Saturday and he, has, he, hasn't played high, he hasn't played a football game since his junior year of high school. He was ruled ineligible here in Texas. When he's on the field, the kid is an unbelievable athlete. The two you do have to worry about, though, are Smith and Spiller. Smith was recruited as a wide receiver. All their running backs got hurt last year before the bowl game. Jimbo moved him to running back for the bowl game, loved how he looked back there. He picked up the position so quickly. Jimbo said, all right, we're going to move you to running back. He's only 5'9", buck 90. He's a little guy. But this dude in space is absolutely deadly. I mean, he had the three-yard reception that it turned into a 47-yard touchdown against Alabama. And you don't see Nick Saban's team miss many tackles. And he broke probably 10 tackles in that game. It was, it was unbelievable. And then Isaiah Spiller, as a true freshman last year, rushed for 947 yards, 10 touchdowns, took over the starting role and never relinquished it. And heading into last week, I haven't seen the new numbers, but against Vanderbilt, the first – tackler on all seven of his runs missed he is super shifty in space he had a 100 first tackler broken tackle rate in week one and he had seven carries for 118 yards he averaged like 20 yards a carry jimbo used uh, uh the two back set where they, they lined up alongside mond in the backfield five times against vandy and they averaged 17 yards of play off that set it's just tough to deal with both those guys. They sent one in remotion behind, and they either did a pitch option or a read option with Mond and the other running back. And Vandy really struggled against it. They didn't break it out against Alabama. I was shocked. I really expected to see them run that more, and they didn't. And I would be surprised if we don't see it again against Florida. But Smith and Spiller, those two guys in space are deadly. Neither's lightning fast like Tony. They're not going to you know, win a track meet. But in short bursts, they're about as quick and as shifty as you're going to find. 
So what that tells me is that Florida's got its work cut out in the tackling department on Saturday because Florida had some trouble breaking down the athletes of South Carolina who, I mean, they're, they're power five college football players, but they're probably in the lower end of skill position guys in the SEC. I thought that Florida's tackling was definitely better against South Carolina than it was against Mississippi in the opener, especially after watching film a second time. But I also remain convinced that a large part of that is Mississippi having better athletes than South Carolina. So I think Texas A&M will tell us if Florida is really getting better at tackling as the season goes along and they knock the offseason rust off or if they just look better against one of the worst and least athletic teams of the 14 teams in the SEC. But let's switch over from the offense to the defense. Texas A&M's defense did not look very good at all against Alabama. And now they're going to face a Florida offense with a very accurate passer and a smart leader in Kyle Trask, the best tight end in the country, Kyle Pitts. I'm not apologizing for that because I don't think it's even close. And a wide array of playmakers in the skill positions. In fairness, the Aggies did have several guys in the defense opt out, like former Florida Gator commit Elijah Blades. But on the other hand, you've got to play the hand you're dealt. So with the hand that Jimbo Fisher has been dealt on defense, how do you think the Aggies begin to go about stopping such a prolific Florida offense a week after getting ripped apart by Alabama? (laughs) The obvious answer is stop buying on double moves. I mean, they got beat on second and 22 on a double move. They got beat on third and nine on a double move. Uh, One thing I I will say, though, is I don't know how you stop this Alabama offense with Waddle, Devontae Smith, John Michi, Nanaji Harris, and and Mac Jones throwing bullets. I mean, I think every team's going to struggle to stop them. A&M looked great against Vandy. They looked putrid against Alabama. So I'm not sure if I'm inclined to believe that they're closer to what we saw in the week one or what they're closer to what we saw in week two. They're probably somewhere in the middle. And, and I think with all the experience back, I lean towards them being actually a, a pretty decent defense, but their team speed on the outside just isn't there. And that got absolutely exposed against the elite team speed of, uh, of Alabama. And Florida has team speed more comparable to Alabama than they do to Vanderbilt, which should scare A&M fans. Uh, the secondary, they're starting a true freshman at cornerback. Granted, he's a five-star, but Jalen Jones, uh, welcome to the SEC last week when he got burned on that first touchdown by John Michi. It was just a straight go route. And the, the rest of their secondary is, is a senior and two sophomores, and, and I guess a junior too, who switches in at safety. But it's an inexperienced group that is kind of learning on the fly. And I, you remember when you took your SATs, Neil? How many times did you take the SATs? Took them twice. <laughs> Can't wait for the, this answer. The, the first time you go in there and you like, all right, I kind of know what to expect, but you're not really ready. And the second time, at least you kind of know what you're up for. I feel yeah. like that's, that's kind of what this A&M secondary is in for. Because Vanderbilt didn't test them deep whatsoever. Vanderbilt completed 22 passes for 150 yards or something like that, like 20 passes for 150. Everything was underneath. And then they came out, they tried to blitz a little bit, and – Bama's offensive line didn't crack whatsoever. Mac Jones had 10 seconds to double pump and throw the ball deep, and they got absolutely eviscerated. So I think it starts by getting pressure on Kyle Trask. If they can't do that, they have to pray that he's just not having a good day. But, uh, yeah, I I don't have much confidence in the secondary slowing down that offense. And 
one thing on Kyle Pitts, Jimbo Fisher agrees with you that he's the best tight end in the country. He had nothing but elite praise for number 84 in the press conference today. Well, I will say um, that Florida's offensive line and took a beating from the fan base last year. It, it's got four guys back. I believe so. Well, it, it, wasn't, it really wasn't that good last year. It's taken some strides this year. Um, I think Texas A&M is and – we'll, and we'll get into this more uh, for a big finale of the show, but I think Texas A&M is going to have to try to fill gaps against Florida's offensive line and fill them quickly. Florida's offensive line, if, we can, if we've seen any major difference from last year, they appear to be firing off the line more. They seem – we had former Florida tight end Ben Troop on our show several – weeks ago now um his his big thing was blocking is a want to thing you gotta want to do it last year there were and i i believe rightfully so questions about the want to of blocking this year when the guys get down in their stance and the ball snap you can see they really want to block there is a want to with them this year so i think that they're playing the whole year angry and determined to prove that last year was just them taking their lumps and they're actually better than they showed. And they sort of have so far, but I think they're going to be really looking to show that against A&M. And now I'm just looking at Casey on the zoom screen. He is just chomping at the bit to get to this next question. So go ahead, Casey. I get to ask a question because this is a personal question to me. Anybody that follows me on Twitter and Mike, I just gave you a follow. I just followed um, you back. Look at that. Thanks man. Thanks, man. I mean, I'm uh, now included in this question. I'm excited. It, it uh, yeah, it's <laughs> I. Uh, there's probably no other coach in college sports that I hate more than Jimbo Fisher. Um, and I, I don't hate him because who he is. I don't know him personally. Um, but when he was at FSU, we went seven and one against Florida. Um, when he would beat Florida, he would be so tacky about it. Um, there's a video somewhere of him in a locker room going, we just beat the damn Gators, you know, and even his uh, last trip to the swamp uh, in 2017, I I think he made some comment about that being a good second home for him, you know, and it was, uh, I, Neil's kind of over it. Neil takes the attitude of, oh, well, it was our own fault that we were that bad this, those years. And if we really didn't like it, we should have just beaten him. I just don't like the guy. I don't like his attitude. I don't like his voice drives me nuts. Uh, his his lack of like even hair on his head drives me nuts. I mean, I, I, I just genuinely do not like the guy. So I look at this as a grudge match against Jimbo. Um, and a lot of fans do too. Saturday Down South uh, had a really good article today. Florida out to vanquish its Jimbo Fisher problem co- Saturday in College Station. And to me, it's personal. You know, it's about the players on the field, and I get that. But a large part of Gator fans look at this as a chance for both payback and redemption uh, because we've never had Dan Mullen as a coach facing Jimbo Fisher. But I did want to ask about his demeanor this week. You spend a lot of time around him, and you talk with him today. Does he still have any lingering animosity towards Florida, or did he leave all that behind at Florida State? Could you just tell there was something different about him in in the press conference this week? Did he carry himself any differently just because of those eight years that he spent in Tallahassee? He was actually pretty cheery today. He does a pretty good job, like I said earlier, putting losses behind him and moving on. So if he was a little upset, I, I don't know if I would have been able to tell it was because it's Florida week or they just got, you know, walloped by Alabama. In the in the Zoom call, one of the beat reporters for the, the local paper down here, his mic wasn't working. So the way they have it set up in the Zoom is Jimbo's looking at a TV of us talking to him and he responds to the camera and they got a camera feed. 
And Travis's mic wasn't working. So he's like, Travis, I can't hear you. Travis, I can't hear you. And they're like, all right, we'll get to Travis at the end. So Travis finally got his turn to ask a question and his mic worked. He's like, hey, coach, can you hear me now? And, and Jimbo, in a joking way, said, hey, you know, you guys ask me all the time, why doesn't a certain play work? Well, Travis's microphone works every time until it's time for the big show. Just like these plays work in practice, they don't work in the actual game. You know, it's just a, little circumstances like that. And it was, it was cheerful and kind of playful. He was more complimentary towards Mullen and, and the Florida personnel than anything else. It didn't sound like there was any real animosity um, towards – the Gator as a program or, or towards Florida as a school. Uh, he had nothing but good things to say. Like, like I said, he praised Pitts as much as I've ever heard him praise a player in my two and a half, two years here. Uh, he, he said Trask is an, is an elite quarterback in his mind and kind of wishes he was an Aggie. I'm, I'm sure, which I didn't know his name's Kyle because his whole family was Aggies. I, I didn't realize that. Uh, that was a cool little tidbit that came out today, but yeah, I, I didn't hear or get the sense of any real animosity but Jimbo does a pretty good job at hiding things at the same time. So he may deep down really hate Florida and, and wasn't going to let that show it. Uh, no one particularly asked him about the, the Florida ties just because there were so much things we had to clean up from, from Alabama and, and here on the home front. Uh, but I didn't get the sense that he was making this game a bigger deal than it, than it was if it was any team ranked fourth in the country coming to Kyle Field on Saturday. I'll tell you, I, I – I, even when he told me that little dad joke that he had, I, I just, I genuinely <laughs> do not like the guy. <laughs> and, hey, and Neil hey. will tell you out of any game that when the SEC released their new schedule, you know, I immediately called Neil and I said, you know, I want to beat Georgia more than anything, but Jimbo's right at number two <laughs> on, on what I want. I, I just was, don't understand that, man. Like he's gone. He, yeah, and, but, and, and he left uh, FSU in the dumpster. Like yeah, I was gonna say, he's getting, FSU's him. only gotten worse since he left. So well, he really should. And, and I think it's the fact that through those eight years, aside from 2012 and 2014, those games were never particularly close. Um, and he relished it. Um, he used the recruitment of Dalvin Cook, for an example. Um, it's, God. and Neil, you live in, in, in the Northeast when you live and you breathe in the sunshine state and you've got people in your family that are Florida, Florida state, it's a whole different thing. And you just learn just, just like they hated Steve Spurrier. We hated Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. So, I mean, you say that, but you forgot that my mom grew up in Tallahassee and has three brothers, which means that I have three uncles who went to Florida state and a, bevy of cousins who went to florida state and who all root for them quite obnoxiously oh hey here's dustin surprise dustin smith making a cameo gets his tooth pulled out this morning gets knocked out by all kinds of painkillers and here he is to reclaim his role as the host mid-show yeah sorry uh dustin just got your text um doing better ready to rock yeah dustin welcome aboard man you ready to take over as the host mid-episode so uh, first off, Mike Lucas, thank you for uh, coming and being a part of this. I really want to personally thank you for taking the time to do this. Oh, any um, anytime, man, anytime. Maybe maybe uh, I'm going to be more entertaining now, but let's let's go and dive into it. What a trooper! So, Mike, what do you think the Agus the Aggie Agus Agus <laughs> still still <laughs> still a little woozy here. Still right. a little woozy. I can see that. <laughs> Sean Connery, the Agus, the rock with the Agus. <laughs> 
Oh, man. What do you think the Aggies' biggest strength is, their biggest weakness, and their biggest question mark at this current time? Uh, the biggest strength is Nia Smith and, and their creative ways of getting him the ball. Uh, we've seen him in the backfield and the slot lined up, lined up out wide in the punt return game. And anytime they get the ball in number zero hands, number zero's hands, uh, good things have happened. He had nine touches, 150 yards, two touchdowns against Bama, and I'm sure he'll get close to that against Florida. Their biggest weakness right now is can they hit the deep ball? They have zero passes of over 20 yards in the air completed this year. Everything's been underneath that has either been turned into a bigger play and or tackled on the spot. And I think against these more explosive offenses, uh, 24 points isn't going to cut it. They're going to have to score, and they have to score quicker. And the best way to do that is hit the deep ball. The biggest unknown can they get pressure on Kyle Trask? They had one and a half or two sacks against Vanderbilt, one sack against Alabama, but for the most part, Mac Jones had a, a clean pocket and, and all day to throw. If you give Kyle Trask time in the pocket, I, I think he's going to pick apart the secondary. So the unknown is can they get pressure with the front four without blitzing and having to sacrifice the safeties and the linebackers in coverage? So we're going to move to our last order of business today. Our wrap-up segment is something we like to call the verdict. So what we're going to do is we're going to go around and we're going to share our keys to the game, and then we're also going to give our score prediction and why. College game day style. I'm 100% not putting on Jimbo headgear, though. <laughs> if, if you had a Jimbo headgear, I'd actually demand you put it on. So. <laughs> oh, Could you imagine? I, 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 I can't do that terrible comb over that he has so <laughs> he wears a hat all the time now i don't know if that was a florida state staple but he always has a hat on oh no he had that it was just no. like he had readers towards the end he started wearing readers and he puts them on and i i from dealing with jimbo he he's super friendly with us like i i like interacting with him but he puts the, the glasses on to listen to your question and then takes them off when he answers it's hysterical <laughs> puts them on to, to just just to listen to your question i think it's just a habit he's obviously not reading anything but uh yeah, so he, it, Jimbo's pretty funny like that. I was going to say, he's, he's, uh, he's helping out his wrong sense there. I mean, maybe like if it's a hearing aid, it makes sense. You yeah, put no, it it, that's what I'm saying. It, it makes no sense whatsoever. But it's, you know. Anyway, so Mike, what would you say the key or keys are to this game? Uh, I mean, I really think the key is can they pressure Kyle Trask? And then on the opposite side, can they connect on some, some deeper passes to at least – make Florida's defense not put eight, nine guys in the box and open up those running lanes. I think that really is the key. I know it's basic, generic, boring football, but basic, generic, boring football is what wins games. And we haven't seen – they didn't do it against Vanderbilt. They didn't do it against Alabama. And even though they beat Vanderbilt, it was was ugly. And then they got walloped by Alabama. So I think those two things are going to make a difference. And how many times have you guys heard and talked about football coaches – say we need to make the other team one-dimensional, at least 10,000, right? A&M's run defense, it's damn good. Like, really, really good, except their secondary sucks. So I'm not sure if you actually want to make Florida one-dimensional in this game, which I haven't figured out the right way to word that yet, but I almost hope the run defense isn't as stout as it's been the first two games, so Kyle Trask doesn't have to throw the ball uh, 50 times. I'm just saying, I'm not an Aggie fan. So when I say we, I just mean the team. I, co- I hope they win because I like to cover teams that win. It's a lot more fun than covering teams that lose. Um, but I have no actual fan preference in this game. I was, I was going to say Florida's got one dimension of its offense that's exponentially better than the other. It's passing game. I mean, it's run game is 
it's fine. It's not by any means their preferred way of moving the ball. So I don't know that that's something you really want to do with Florida anyway. Um, Mikey's going to be tackling. It's got to be tackling. And which team's defense is able to make tackles on the other team's laundry list of athletes. And Florida didn't look so fantastic against South Carolina in this department. I mean, they weren't terrible. I think that they looked better in tackling than they did against Mississippi in the opener. But they did not look sensational in this aspect either. And the Gamecocks, relatively speaking, don't have a ton of playmakers on offense. And now Florida's got a tougher test in Texas A&M. So can they answer the bell there? And on the other side, A&M's defense, as we've mentioned several times, kind of got its feelings hurt against Alabama. They didn't really do a whole lot of anything right, particularly in the secondary. And now they're tasked with bringing Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney and Trayvon Grimes and Malik Davis and Naquan Wright and so on and so on to the ground. So whichever team does a better job of wrapping up and not letting two, three, four-yard gains become 30-yard gains, I think has a much better chance to win. I'll say my key – uh, is going to be, can the Florida defense stop the A&M run game? And can the Florida run game get through the Texas A&M run defense? I think whoever has the more rushing yards in this game will win. I think that's going to be the key to this. It's not going to be through the air. I think whoever has more rushing yards on the ground and keeps the opposing defense honest, and whichever opposing defense can stand up and stop that, I think that's who wins the game. I actually want to disagree with Casey. I think Ouch. I yeah. think I think Florida can can run the ball for less yards than AM and, and win the game. I think that if Florida has to run the ball, uh, I think it I think it's a testament to maybe how AM is tightening up in the secondary. Now typically a team that plays behind might might be throwing the ball a little more, but other than other than that unforeseen scenario, I think I think AM running the ball I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I, I think that you can have a scenario where A&M has, has uh, 100 yards rushing and Florida has 75 yards rushing. And if Florida has, also has 400 yards passing, I think, I think that's still a winnable game for them. So I would say my key is, is most definitely the quarterbacks. I think whichever quarterback plays better, whichever quarterback throws for more touchdowns, more yards, and doesn't turn over the ball, uh, I mean, Kyle Trask is, is great. Some people are, are, are saying that he's uh, a Heisman contender, uh, but at the same time, he still turned over the ball twice against South Carolina, and that's not going to cut it against a more talented team uh, like Texas A&M. So I think if, if Kellamond has the game of his life and he is lights out like he's been in big games before, obviously he didn't really show out too much against Alabama. He didn't have a terrible game by any stretch of imagination. I think having three touchdowns against any team is, is fine. But at the same time, if he, has, if, he, if he plays lights out, if he's able to get past our, our, our defense, which isn't looking incredible right now, that's my biggest concern and my biggest key. So I always want to go back to the quarterbacks. And this is definitely the game I circled on my calendar before the season started as a big time quarterback matchup. You're a quarterback. You're, you know, that's in your blood. You played quarterback in high school. So that makes sense. But I will point out one thing about Mond. He has had some big performances in some big games before. Typically, 
those big games have not come against highly ranked opponents. Mm-hmm. His stats. You want some drop stats off. to back that up, Neil? I was going to go there if Neil hadn't uh, <laughs> hadn't stolen my stolen my thunder there. How did he do against um, Alabama the last couple so, of years? So, How did he so, do against Georgia last year? Here, now, now, okay, total yards in the Old Miss game: Florida six hundred and forty-two, Old Miss six hundred and thirteen. Passing four hundred and forty-six versus four hundred and forty-three. Rushing one hundred and ninety-six for Florida versus one hundred and seventy for Old Miss. Versus South Carolina, total yards, 329 for the Gamecocks, 348 for Florida. 212 passing for Carolina, 268 for Florida. Rushing, Carolina, 117, we had 80. A&M against Vandy, total yards, 200, or 372 yards against Vandy what the f- uh, with 150. Rushing, A&M had 183, Vanderbilt had 105. Last week against Alabama, A&M had 450 yards. Alabama uh, of total offense. Alabama had 544. They were both over 100 yards in rushing. And the passing, Texas A&M passed for 335. Alabama passed for 435. That's a lot of yards, boys. Yeah, well, you, you wanted you wanted uh, Mike. You wanted some stats of Kellen Mond against highly ranked teams. How about Not- the L- how about the LSU game last year? It's 10 for 30, 92 oh, yards, and three interceptions. I was actually going to back up your point and just say. Oh. I thought they, you were going to fight been, they, No, agree with you. They haven't been good in big games. Uh, okay. They've lost nine straight games versus top five teams. They have not scored 30 points in any game. If they don't score 30 against Florida, I don't think they have any chance to win. just want to say this. I know I disagree with you, Casey. I'm pretty sure we're going to have better agreement for the scores. So I just want to get that out there. I'll go, I'll go first. Um, I will give, yeah, go for it, Neil. Yeah, we'll, we'll, let, we'll save the best for last. We'll let Mike – give his prediction at the end because he is unbiased. He has no dog in the fight, as he said. So we'll get a real good gauge for how a non-Gator slash non-Aggie third party is going to feel about it. So I picked a loss for Florida against Texas A&M in our season preview show. And I will say that our defense has not turned the corner yet the way that I thought it would against South Carolina. So that isn't really helping convince me to change my mind. I don't think – it's going to turn the corner against the Texas A&M team that's appreciably better offensively than South Carolina was last week. And I do think that this setup is as well situated for a Florida stumble where they just don't play well on offense and turn the ball over five times or so as any. But I think A&M is going to have more problems against what's really a machine of a Florida offense than they can overcome. I think this is going to be the game that remains in doubt for the longest percentage of game action to this point, meaning it's not going to be clearly over in the third or early fourth quarter. I think this is a full 60-minute fight, but for all the weapons A&M's got on offense, I think Florida's got more. And I think of the two defenses, Florida's has just shown me a little bit more so far. So I'll go 45-38 Florida in a shootout. Interesting, interesting. Um, I will go with, I think the Florida defense does enough. I think they don't turn a corner, but they show us something maybe a little bit more than we've seen. I think A&M shows up. Um, I'm with Neil, but I think it's going to be a dogfight. I am going to go Florida 48, Texas A&M 37. All right. Dustin, wow. how about you? Well, guys – so first and foremost, I want to say that, that A&M 
is not going to give up the yards and give up the points to Florida that they gave up to Alabama. As poorly as they played in that game from a defensive standpoint, I really don't see that happening again. I think A&M's defense is going to step it up uh, a bit more than they did in that game. And, and for that reason, I don't think the Gators are going are gonna to score um, as many points as they scored all season. I, I do think that so far this will be the Gators' lowest scoring game, and I, I've projected that since the beginning of the season. So I, I also don't think that Anum is going to score a ton. So I, I don't think it's going to be a shootout. You know, Neil, Neil Casey, you, you guys might know something I don't know, and I and I want to I want to give you guys props for that. But I just I, I, I do think the Gator defense is going to step up, and I don't see AM scoring a number that is out of line with the two scores that they've already scored uh, to start the season. So I do, my, my prediction is Florida's going to win. It's going to be very close uh, for, the, for, for the first three quarters, and then the Gators are going to score uh, one or two touchdowns late. They're going to finish. Obviously, they're going to, they're going to be hearing it all week. Uh, that they did not finish against South Carolina. So I think they're going to finish this game. And I'm projecting the Gators to win, and it's going to be Florida 35, Texas A&M 24. Ooh. And that's going to be my projection. I right, like yes. When I look at this game, I look at a Florida offense that at least in theory should be able to move up and down the field against this A&M defense without much hesitation. Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts are – as good of a passer-receiver duo in the country. Tony's a nightmare matchup. They have backs that can run. And defensively, Florida recruits at an elite level. Like, those defensive dudes are, are legit. If they weren't coming off this Alabama loss, I would bet my house or my little one-bedroom apartment, I'm in Texas right now, on the Gators. But I think – I just remember when I played basketball – and I played D3 basketball in college, like nothing to brag about. But when we got our butt kicked, practice was hell until our next game. And there was like a, an extra sense of urgency to go out and prove like that wasn't us. And I just have a gut feeling that after a crappy Vanderbilt performance in week one, a lackluster showing against Alabama in week two, this is the week we see what type of team A&M actually has – for the rest of the season. And this was the year 2020 was the year fans had circled on the calendar. Vanderbilt was the SCC East opponent. They had a no Clemson. They had Colorado, like 10 wins was a legit realistic expectation for this team. And they haven't played anywhere near a 10 win team. So my gut tells me you combine an extra week of practice where they just get dogged the entire week to perform. Well, you add the fact that we know Jimbo doesn't like UF regardless of how he acted with us. And he knows they have to play well for him to, stay off the hot seat. Like I know his contract safe, but like the burners starting to turn up as they keep getting crushed by these top five teams. I think the Aggies win. It's close. The 11 o'clock kicks weird. If it was a night game, I think it benefits Florida. The early kicks weird. It's a weird time. slot. it's a weird fan. There's no real fan situation to start booing when they go bad. It makes no sense. Florida's the better team. I think they should win. I think the Aggies end up winning like 33, 30 or something in a weird fashion, and the special teams play is a difference. A special teams or defensive touchdowns so, is a difference. So why do you think the 11 a.m. kickoff central time helps you guys more than a night kickoff? Yeah, see, I, w- I would expect the 11 would favor the visitors versus home. Yeah. 
the, the players told us that today. Carson Green, Anaya Smith, and DeMarvin Leal said they all love playing the 11 o'clock kickoffs in Texas because when it's a night game or an afternoon game, they wake up and they have all day to look forward to the game and they end up going on Twitter and that's detrimental. The, the walkthrough, they have to stretch. When Carson Green said he's an offensive lineman and a senior, said when you have an 11 o'clock game, you wake up at 7, you're right in walkthroughs, you have team meal, you stretch, you eat, and it's game time. And with all the criticism surrounding this A&M team, I think the quicker they can get on the field and play actually benefits them as opposed to a 7.30 kick or an 8.30 kick, 6.30 kick, where they have all day to sit around and, and hear Kirk Herbstreit say, yeah, they got smoked by Alabama again. Let's, let's, they got Kyle Trask. Like, before today, I, I wouldn't have thought that made a difference after listening to them today. And maybe I'm a sucker, and I, I believe too, much th- too many things I hear from the players, but – they seem to like the 11 a.m. kick, and Florida – they've played 11 a.m. three weeks in a row, or, or noon for you guys three weeks in a row, right? I feel like yep. they're going to – I feel at this point, they, they feel like they deserve a primetime game. This had a chance to be the CBS game of the week, and because A&M has not lived up to that par, they got moved to the early slot. And I don't know if it negatively affects Florida, but I think it does positively affect A&M. Absolutely. So – that's about all we've got for today. Uh, Mike, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on and be with us. Uh, this was fun, guys. If y'all ever need anything else, let me know. Um, I'll, be, I'll be in Kyle Field on Saturday morning. So cool. Look for you on yeah. TV. Got any, I'll be in the corner with the media vest on and the camera. So Hey, have yeah. fun. And uh, before we sign off tonight, we want to send our pod's best wishes to former Florida State coach Bobby Bowden, who was diagnosed with COVID today. So um, definitely uh, best, oh wishes, best wishes to him um, and best wishes to our friends on the Gulf Coast uh, with a hurricane that is in the Gulf right now. So hey, Dustin doesn't know any of this. He's been asleep the whole day. Yeah, but so, yeah, best, Dustin, you're, you're waking up and hearing this for the first time, too, yeah, on our so pod. When, when was the diagnosis? Best, best wishes. To uh, Coach Bowden and his family and uh, all of our friends along the Gulf Coast. All right, guys. I was super happy to come on, even though I I had to come in a little late due to uh, my little procedure I had earlier in the day. Anyway, if you enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We're still very young, and that would, would mean so much to us as we continue to grow. Again, we thanked him over and over. But we want to thank Mike Lucas for joining us. And you can follow him on Twitter at K-A-G-S underscore Lucas. That's at K-A-G-S underscore Lucas. So thank you for joining us, Mike. And to each and every one of you that are listening to this, be safe and go Gators. Go Gators. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys.